Our scripture passage today is Luke chapter 15, easily to be identified, labeled as the lost and found department of the Bible. There's no other place where so many stories are told, characters are mentioned where something is lost and is found over and over and over again. Jesus tells these stories. And I want us to look at uh, this chapter uh, today and also the broader context of Luke chapter 15 as well. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares what most interpreters, commentators call three parables. It may be four, depends on how you interpret it, but there definitely are four scenarios. And I'm going to depend on you today to remember those stories, those scenarios, because we don't have time to look at every verse and for me to go through every uh, detail and remind you of everything that's written there. If you have your Bible open, then you'll be able to look at some of that, or you will make some notes and uh, make a note of the uh, passage and take it home with you and do some study uh, on your own at home as well, and I hope you'll uh, do that. Uh, the four scenarios, obviously, of course, are a lost sheep and a shepherd who finds the sheep, a lost uh, coin that a woman searches diligently until she finds it, a lost son whose father is waiting, and when he sees him coming, he runs to meet him and greets him and receives him back, not as a prodigal, but as a full-fledged member of the family, a son. And then that fourth section that's either the last part of the third parable or it's a fourth parable in itself, I'm not sure which, it definitely makes another point, is the point of the older brother. As I speak today, there are some who may be like a prodigal son away from God and needing to come home. The song you heard that I called attention to, I Got Saved, should speak to many of us today because we were there and he found us and he brought us home and we're saved and, and uh, our life has been changed forever because of the salvation of God, the grace and the goodness of God and uh, that uh, experience of salvation. So I'm hoping today many of you will celebrate your salvation and just be reminded, I was a sheep and he found me. I was a coin and he searched for me. I was a son and he longed for me and he received me back into the family. And that's the part of the message today that I want us to understand. But the other part of that message today is, depending on how you interpret that older brother, what does that say to us? Could there be some older brothers viewing my live stream on Facebook? Could there be some older brothers in the room who are not right with the father? Not willing to be right with a brother or sister in Christ. Something's hard, something's cold, something's calloused. Something is dividing and separating you from where the Father is and where the Father wants you to be. I don't know what that might be, uh, how that might be explained today, but the Holy Spirit does. And he'll speak to your heart if you know you're in that position today as the older brother. For the Lord to deal with that and help you overcome it today. We'll look in a moment and I'll point it out to you, but joy is the theme of three out of four of these scenarios. But there's no joy for the older brother. There's a touch in three of the scenarios, but there's no touch for the older brother. When things are not right between you and your heavenly father, when your heart is heart for whatever reason, you miss some joy, a lot of joy. And you'll not know the warmth and the compassion and the acceptance of that touch that God can bring into your life. And so as we look today, these uh, stories, these scenarios are going to help to uh, portray that for you and communicate it to you. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to bring it to your mind and heart today. If you would stand with me 
we're going to look at just three verses in chapter 15, and you'll see again that I want you to uh, use your own memory of these familiar stories, uh, because we're going to just look at the two verses that kind of set the immediate context, and then one verse in the midst of the uh, stories that uh, I, I want us to keep on the screen, and it'll kind of set the tone and the theme for what we're talking about it, uh, looking at here today. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, then drew near unto him all, notice that, the publicans and sinners. Previously in Luke's gospel, he has told us that innumerable multitudes were coming to Jesus at this point in his life and ministry. So I'm believing that that's still true here in this portion of the scripture. We believe Jesus is moving from his northern Galilean ministry along the eastern border of Judea, along the Jordan River, making his way eventually in Luke chapter 19 to Jericho, where he heals and saves a blind man and where he meets Zacchaeus. Uh, and we heard our uh, pastor speak about that on Easter Sunday. Uh, so he's moving in that, uh, that direction. And innumerable crowds of people are being drawn to Jesus because of this evangelistic campaign that he's conducting at this time. And that innumerable crowd is made up mainly of publicans, which is tax collectors and sinners. And that's a generic word that describes any and every uh, vile, evil, sinful, criminal person and personality that you can imagine. It just covers the whole gamut. And those who are listening to Jesus, uh, they're the ones Jesus tells these stories to benefit. So that's what I want us to see today as we look at it. And then in verse 2, there's another part of the crowd. And I think we all know this is somewhat uh, the crowd that is represented by that last part of the story uh, at the end of the chapter. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes that are mentioned here are in the, the image of and the picture of the older brother. And Jesus wants them to understand that. So in this crowd, you have publicans and sinners, innumerable multitudes, and then the Pharisees and the scribes. And instead of their listening, praying for the sermon as it's preached, praying for the uh, Savior as he communicates God's truth to the crowd that day, they're murmuring to themselves and among one another, about Jesus, and this isn't the first time, we all know that by this point, Jesus has become very unpopular with this smaller segment of people. The large, vast majority that day are scribes and, fair, uh, excuse me, publicans and sinners. But there's a small percentage making up the group listening to Jesus that day who are scribes and Pharisees. And they're murmuring because Jesus receives sinners and eateth with them. And if you go back to Luke chapter 9, you'll find that this basically is a record of the final weeks, maybe uh, months, brief months of Jesus' ministry as he makes his way to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, the record tells us that Jesus at that point set his face toward Jerusalem. And that's not just a destination, that's his face, his heart toward the cross that he knew was uh, waiting him there in Jerusalem. And along the way, if you'll study Luke chapter 9 through chapter 20, when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and Holy Week is recorded there, you'll find several times where Jesus goes into the house of a publican or a sinner, ministers to them, and they experience a healing perhaps, but certainly experience a salvation. Zacchaeus is one example of many of those. It's all included in this lengthier passage of Scripture. And those scribes and Pharisees has, had observed that Jesus was willing to accept and go into the home of even a publican, a tax collector, or a sinner and show no favoritism, no hesitation to participate with them. And as a result, uh, they're jealous, and they're angry, they're bitter, and so they're murmuring against Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Now, coming on the screen is verse 24, and we're going to keep it there the whole time. This is another part of our passage today. And again, it kind of summarizes what all of these stories tell. In the story of the prodigal son, the third parable, the father says, this my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. That'll stay on the screen. You'll be able to glance up at it from time to time. And just remember, I got saved. This son got saved. And this is some of the result and the benefit and the blessing of salvation. And I want us to experience that today. But I also want those who are not saved or are not sure of your salvation to understand what it is and that it's available to you. And that I want those of us who may have that need that the older brother had to face that and deal with that today as well. The first two verses we looked at in John 15 describe four groups of people, but two categories, two in each one. And that first group, the publicans and sinners, basically have come to believe, for many reasons, we have no hope of a Savior. We have no hope of salvation. They'd been convinced of that, but now Jesus comes and shows his embrace, his acceptance, his love, his concern, his willingness to touch their lives and change their lives, and they're beginning to get a different impression. But it had been ingrained in them by their society, you're sinful, you're evil. To the rest of us in society, you're detestable. We don't want to have anything to do with you. You have no part with us, and you have no hope of a Savior. Jesus is going to change that message. And there's somebody here today, maybe more than one, listening, viewing, or in person, who uh, somehow you've come to believe. Maybe something happened to you earlier in your life. Maybe people have said things to you. Maybe it's just that voice of Satan that wants to whisper lies into your mind and into your life and say to you, you have no hope of a Savior either. You've gone too far. You've done too much. There's too much baggage. There's, there's too much past in your life, and you have no hope of a Savior. You're going to hear today from the words of Jesus and these stories that he told. He knows you, and he loves you, and he does have a plan and purpose for you, and he's going to come to you and invite you today to receive that salvation that only he can give, that only he can offer. But then those scribes and Pharisees make up that other two, two sets of people that were in that other group. While one group thought there's no hope for us to have salvation, it's, you could almost say the scribes and the Pharisees said, we really don't need a Savior. We've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We have kept the law. We've been uh, diligent in our uh, faithfulness and in our obedience, and we really don't need a Savior. We're right with God standing on our own. And again, Jesus is going to make that abundantly clear to them as well, the error of their thinking. And so if you're here today with the heart that's somewhat represented by that older brother, Something in that heart that's hard and unresponsive and unwilling. God's speaking to you today. The prodigal son we'll look at in a moment. How far did he go from his father? We can just imagine it was many, many miles. A long, long way. Not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. The older brother never left the property. Never left the house. Never left the side or the earshot of his father. And yet this story reveals he's just as far away and in just as great a need to humble himself and come into the presence of the Father as was the younger brother. And so again, God's speaking to all of us today uh, in each of these areas.
Let me just simply point out some things to us today about salvation, first of all. These stories, 100 sheep, one is lost, the shepherd goes and finds it. 10 coins, one is lost, and the woman diligently searches. We hope you'll make, make a note of that, maybe mark that in your Bible. Whether these stories really happened or not, we don't know. They certainly are believable. They could have happened. But Jesus tells them to make a point. And when he says the woman searched diligently for the coin, I think that adverb, he wants us to apply to himself and to God the Father as they pursue us. We are diligently sought by a God who knows us and loves us. And we tend to forget that. Or we tend to uh, uh, have uh, false information that causes us not to remember that or understand that. And today we need to understand that just as that woman searched diligently, God is diligent in his attentiveness, in his desire, in his pursuit of us to bring to us salvation. Of course, the father had two sons. One literally went away. The other one stayed home, but both were away from the father. One came back. The other never came in to the father's arms and into the father's circle, into the father's heart. And all of those scenarios will speak to each one of us today. When Jesus told those stories, in the first story, the sheep and the shepherd, to me, what he's telling us there about God is that God knows his sheep God knows us. He knows our name. He knows our need. He knows our circumstances. He knows our problem. He knows where to find us, and he knows how to come to us and to bring us back. God knows. You think those Pharisees and scribes in the audience that day recognized a God who knows? They didn't really understand how he knew them, and they certainly didn't think he could know those publicans and sinners. But today we need to hear, as Jesus tried to communicate that day, our God knows. When the Bible says that uh, the very hairs of our head are numbered, that tells me we've got a God that knows. When the Bible tells me that uh, uh, God is aware of every grain of sand in the ocean and on the beaches around the world, and we're not lost in the immenseness and the vastness of that, God knows. Somebody here today needs to be reminded, my Father has saved me. And a part of that includes he knows me in spite of what I've done and in spite of who I am. He knows. Then that second story Jesus told of the woman who lost a coin, searched diligently for it. She valued that coin. And again, it's not so much the woman and the coin, it's God and me and God and you. He values us. We're important to him. We're significant to him. He has a plan for us, and as long as we're away from him, out of his hand, out of his possession, we're wasted and useless and pointless. But he searches diligently, and we get saved, and he brings us back into his possession, and that plan that he had for us can be put into place. That purpose can be fulfilled. If you're making some notes today, remind yourself, put it down personally, God knows me. And if you want to, in parenthesis, in spite of everything, he still knows me. And then put it down, God values me. I like the illustration that uh, was given some time ago. I'm not sure who said it or where I was when I heard it, but I thought it was uh, so helpful. How, does God, how much does God value me? Well, put your life over here. And you may think it's little or insignificant or worthless. And then put the life of Jesus Christ. Picture him, if you will, dying on the cross. The blood, the agony, the injustice 
the, the uh, abuse and realize that when Jesus died on that cross, God was saying, your life is that valuable to me that I'm willing to give my son in redemption, in exchange that you might be saved. The woman valued the coin. God values you. You're important to him. And you're important for many reasons, but especially because you have a purpose and a plan. The woman wanted to do something with that coin. Maybe it's as simple as feed her children. Maybe it's something, uh, something more significant as a dowry in a, in a, in a wedding or in, in some kind of future event. Maybe it's a retirement. But it had a purpose. It's not so much uh, the significance of what the details of the story are, but what God is telling us, what Jesus is portraying in this message. We are important to God. He has a plan and a purpose for us. And that second story makes that abundantly clear. And then what could you say about the prodigal son? The father portrays God. We portray the one in need. And not only does God know the one in need, does God value the one in need, but God loves the one in need like the father loved that son. The scripture tells us there, if you notice it again in Luke chapter 15, you can see it for yourself. The father didn't go looking for the son, but he was looking for the son. He didn't go, but he was standing, I think, on his porch. I picture it that way. And there's the path the son had taken far away, disappearing into the horizon. And then the scripture says the father stood there, incessantly watching. And he saw a movement on that horizon path. He saw a form and he recognized that's the form of his son. And then he did go to the son, the scripture says. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him and he gave him the ring, the robe, the calf, full acceptance back into the family. And I don't think we need to be reminded. The son came back feeling worthless and useless and needing to earn his way back into the father's presence. And the father said, no, I'm going to accept you back on my terms. And my terms are you're an equal son just as you were when you left. And if you're making some notes today, write down the word grace right there. There's nothing but grace. Did the son deserve what the father did? No. Do you and I deserve what God has done for us when he saved us? No. But by grace, he restores us. And not to some uh, lower level, some second class, but to full citizenship in his kingdom, full position and rights in his family. If that doesn't make you celebrate your salvation today, I don't know what will. To know that there's a God who knows you in spite of it all, who values you and has a purpose for your life, and a God who loves you and will restore you and receive you back into his presence and into his fold, into his family, unconditionally. When we talk about the love of God, that's what it is, unconditional love. There are a couple other things in these three first stories that I point out to you that I hope will uh, encourage you today. You may not have noticed. In the first story, the shepherd goes and finds the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, and I kind of picture the sheep hanging off a cliff just ready to plunge into death, living every moment in danger. And when the shepherd finds that sheep, he picks the sheep up. And if you read it in there, it's, there's the details of there. He lifts the sheep up and he puts it on his shoulders. He touches the sheep. He carries the sheep. I'll come back to that in a minute. When the woman finds the coin, the details are not given, but you can uh, uh, imagine it for yourself. When she finds that coin, she embraces it in her hand and clutches it tightly and gladly. She touches the coin. 
And then I just described when the father uh, sees the son come and he goes and he embraces him and he kisses him and receives him back into his family. There's a touch involved in each one of those. There's no touch for the older brother. The opportunity is there. Scripture says the father entreated the older brother. I, th I think you can see him standing there with open arms. Son, come to me. Son, come into the celebration for your younger brother. Come into right relationship. Accept uh, the, the full uh, condition of, of what I've offered to your younger brother. But the scripture says he would not. And so there's no touch. I can't sing it. And I won't give it all to you, but i certainly give you a few words. You know I couldn't overlook it here. I was shackled by a heavy burden neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and I got saved. Things are no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. I think we need to observe that point in these stories. The sheep was touched. The coin was touched. The sun was touched. The other brother was offered that touch of salvation and he refused it. The other point that ties all of these stories together that you may have noticed before is the joy and the merriment. When the shepherd found the sheep, he came home rejoicing. When the woman found the coin, she rejoiced. When the son was received by the father, the father said, let us begin to be merry. Now, I understand the King James word joy and rejoicing. I kind of got the definition of that, okay. But I was a little concerned about that word Mary. Let's make Mary. What does that mean? And I did a little study, and I won't go through the whole uh, pr procedure of it here, here with you today. But if you'll do your own study, you'll find that the root word of being Mary has to do with tightening up your stomach, your midsection. We might call it a belly laugh. Just so happy that you're just filled on the inside with joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving. That's the joy of the son who returned home. His joy, the father's joy, the servant's joy, all are in that celebration. Rejoice, but they also made merry. They just, literally their bodies felt the enthusiasm and the gladness and the hope that had come into that situation because the father had received and restored the Son. God knows you. God values you. I don't care what somebody else has done to you or told you. The Bible says God values you, and you need to understand that. And accept that and celebrate that. And God loves you. The Son had gone no telling how far. He had done no telling what. He had every piece of baggage you can imagine, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially. But when he came back to the Father, the Father said, you're not a hired servant. You don't come back at any other level. You are my son when you left, and you're my son now that you come home. He loved the Son unconditionally, and God loves you today. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he loves you unconditionally. No matter what baggage you carry with you, just like the son was able to leave those old filthy rags behind and wear the new robe and the ring and go into the celebration that the father had prepared for him. So you, when you come to Christ, are received not just as you are, but you're changed and transformed by the father into that life that he 
planned for you all along and intended for you all along. That's what it means to be saved. That's why I invite us today to celebrate our salvation. The sheep was touched. Had he not been, he was living in danger. The coin was rescued and held in the hand. Had it not been, its value and its purpose was useless and wasted. And so are our lives. The son was embraced by the father. Had he had tried to come back on his own terms, his life would have never been right or good. But he came back according to the father's terms as a son. And his life was changed and transformed forever. That leaves me just to remind us again, and I'm going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak his message to your heart concerning that older brother. We don't have the time, and I don't have the knowledge to know how it speaks to you. But I'm certain today there's somebody tuning in or someone who's present here, and God's speaking to your heart about something that older brother's attitude and life. There's a callousness. There's a coldness. There's a hardness. There is a separation and a division and a wall. And the Father is saying, let it all come down. Come into my presence. Come into my plan and my purpose. And you've got to be willing to recognize that. The scripture says of that younger brother in the pig pen, he came to himself. The older brother never came to himself. He didn't see himself as he was. He didn't see how far away he was from the Father. He didn't see his need to become humble, to repent, and to accept the Father's embrace and the Father's love. And so he missed out on everything that the picture of salvation here afforded him. And so that will be for some of us here today. If we maintain that cold, callous, divided heart that separates us from the Father's plan and purpose for us. You could say, well, the older brother was angry with his younger brother. Maybe you're angry with someone today and he's keeping you from where God wants you to be. But it could be something else. Whatever the father entreated the older brother, he would not. Whatever it is for you today that you won't let go of, that you won't confess, that you won't surrender, that you won't acknowledge and ask forgiveness of God in heaven, whatever that is. You're in the place of the older brother, and you'll never know that touch of salvation. You'll never know that joy of the celebration that salvation brings until that heart is made right with the father. It wasn't so much that the older brother needed to be right with his brother. He needed to be right with his father. And from there, it would become natural and uh, logical for him to become in a right relationship with that younger brother. But something between him and the father was separating and dividing and that's happening to some of us here today, and we need to deal with it. This is the story of the lost and found. It's the story of salvation. I believe many of us here today thrilled and joined in with the musicians as they sang a while ago, I got saved. I got saved when I was eight years old, and my life's never been the same. I know that, and I'm so thankful. I can imagine where I would have been. At eight years old, I hadn't really been to the far country but I would have found my way there but God got a hold of my life and he saved me rescued me from danger restored me to purpose positioned me into his plan and purpose for, for my life with unconditional love and that's what he's done for you today if you've been saved so celebrate that if you've neglected it if you've forgotten it then come back to it today 
If you're not saved here today or you're not sure of your salvation here today, then I invite you to understand what Jesus is teaching the crowd in that first century situation, but what he's teaching you here today. In spite of what you think or feel, God knows you, God values you, and God loves you. And he's waiting to embrace you. If like the younger brother, you'll come to yourself and come to him and receive his grace and his mercy. So today, if you're saved, celebrate it. If you're not saved, it's available to you. If you're an older brother with something in that heart that needs to change, then I invite you to deal with that in these next few moments. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer and our musician's going to come. We're going to begin to sing. You're going to be standing and the altar is open and we invite you to come and make whatever public decision you need to make here today. If you're ready to join our church, we welcome you to do that. I'll assist you or some of our other ministers will come and help assist you do the paperwork so that we can present you to this church family. If you want to profess your faith in Jesus as Savior, like the prodigal son, you want to come into the Father's embrace, then while we're singing, it's the time for you to come forward and say, that's what I want to do. And I'll try to help you do that as you come forward. If there are other decisions, or perhaps today you know your own salvation, but your burden for someone who doesn't know salvation is even increased today because you've realized what you have and what they're missing. You may want to bring them in your prayers to the altar here today and just ask God to help you communicate your hope in Christ to them that they too might be saved. I'll ask our musicians to come and let's stand together. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. And then we invite you to respond as God speaks to your heart this morning. Again, our Father, we're grateful that we can gather in this place and hear your truth from your word as expressed as demonstrated by your son Jesus Christ. He not only came to live and show us who you are, but he in stories like this told us your nature and your character and your willingness to save, to transform. Thank you for that opportunity. And now I pray, Lord, that those who need to respond will respond. Help those who need to be saved to accept salvation. Those who need to come back home to do that. Those who need to make other spiritual decisions to do what's necessary in their heart in these moments this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.